we're going to pick three words, three adjectives to describe yourself. What three words would you choose? If you've got a pen handy, you can even take a moment to write those words down, maybe in the margins of your service folder somewhere. Or at least, if you don't have a pen, take a few moments and kind of think through it up here. Remember them. I'm going to give you a few moments of utter silence right now to write those things down, okay? Now, maybe some of you wrote down or, or thought a word like adventurous to describe yourself. Like maybe you love to travel, you like to experience and try new things. Maybe some of you wrote down that you're compassionate, like you really care about the people around you. Or maybe you wrote down that you're creative, like you've got a flair for the artistic and you find all kinds of different ways to express that. Perhaps you wrote down that you're punctual. You really, really care about being on time. And if you do, you probably really care about other people being on time for you as well. Maybe some of you wrote down that you're religious. Like, you care about the things of God and you care about your relationship with him. Whatever those words are that you wrote down, though, um, they probably describe what you see as a way of life for yourself or at the very least, an ideal that you strive to live up to day in and day out, right? Well, let me ask, um, did any of you, in describing yourself, write down or, or think the word holy? Raise your hand if you did. Now, just in case you're ever tempted to someday, I have to forewarn you that if you go around telling everybody that you're holy, um, that's a, a quick way to lose friends and alienate people around you, probably. Um, when we even call somebody else holy, that's not usually a compliment, right? Usually, it's, it's part of a put-down, right? Oh, they, they're so holier than thou. She thinks she's so holy and better than everybody else. And yet, that word holy is right at the epicenter of everything that we are going to be talking about and learning from God's word this morning. And not just in some kind of detached sense or even just ascribing that word holy to God. We're actually going to see that that word holy is something that God assigns to you and to me as a way of life. Now, this letter that we are going to be reading some verses from this morning, 1 Peter, uh, was written to a group of mixed Jewish and Gentile Christians who were undergoing some fairly serious persecutions under the hands of the Roman Empire. And there might have been a very real temptation under the pressures that they faced to kind of just melt back in with the rest of the world, right? In order to avoid the suffering, let's not let our light shine as God's children. We can just look like the rest of the people around us and be fine. But Peter, as he is writing this letter, reminds them, and in these verses reminds us that we possess a new way of life and Come what may, it's a way of life far better and far more glorious than any other. So we're going to start out today at chapter 1, verse 13. As Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, I think that sometimes Christians like you and me actually have a misunderstanding that God's law and all of those rules that he gives us in Scripture do not have a way of life and a way to God through them. That's technically incorrect, though. There is a way to God and to eternal life through the law, and it's what we find right here in this little phrase, be holy. Now, Peter here is quoting a passage from way early on in the Bible, Leviticus 19, verse 2. And in doing so, he's demonstrating that God's standards for you and me really have not changed one tiny little bit. You see, really, there is only one rule. Follow that one rule, and you obey all the rules, and you retain your status as God's children. Break that rule and you have broken the rules and you lose your status as God's children. That's really what brings us to our first key point this morning. What's the way of life through God's law? It's simple. Be holy. And maybe it's worth it for us to define our terms for a moment today. When we look at what it means to be holy in all these different passages of Scripture, here's the the definition, at least the the working definition that we're going to use this morning. As far as being holy relates to you and me, here's what that means. To be holy means to be fixed on all God's glory and all God's will all the time with all of yourself. And that's the kind of high standard that Jesus himself upheld in a conversation that he had in Luke 10. And we're going to read just a few verses of that conversation now. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Do this, be holy in this way, love God like that, and eternal life will be yours. But can I ask again, how many of you described yourselves as holy? today? It's such a simple concept, isn't it? One that's a whole lot less than simple in practice. Especially when we consider the fact that God isn't only talking about holiness in my hands and my feet and my body, but that he's also concerned about holiness in the words that come out of my mouth. And even deeper than that, not just the words that come out of my mouth, but all of those thoughts in my head, many of which never translate into words. And even deeper than that, that God wants there to not even be a single evil desire in the attitudes of my heart all the time. (laughs) 
Now, when we see this standard that's set, and when we realize that we have not lived up to it, this is where everybody kind of by nature goes off in one of two directions, okay? There is one group that will see their failure and say, I just need to throw in the towel, right? Might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I'm going to hell. Then there's another group, what's probably a much, much larger group, which instead tries to kind of redefine the terms, redefine those standards to say, well, what God says when he tells me to be, what God means when he tells me to be holy must just be that he wants me to be holy enough for him. But I got to tell you, there's a big, big, big problem with that. Maybe I can use an anecdote from my teaching days to help illustrate. Um, you see, in my five years of teaching high school, I don't think that I ever gave anybody a 100% on a paper that they wrote for me. Not even the student that uh, received a full ride to Harvard. At best, I think he only ever got a 99. And that's because, in my mind, a 100% means that it is perfect. And so if there was even one misplaced apostrophe or dangling participle, it wasn't perfect and at best could only receive a 99. You see, I was trying to impress something into my students. Almost perfect ain't perfect. And almost holy isn't holy. And that means that there is no way of life for unholy people like you and me through the law. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul was trying to drill home in Romans 3 verse 23 when he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like a daredevil trying to jump his motorcycle over a deep canyon, whether he's short by a foot or short by a mile, he is going to experience the same disastrous results either way. And so also, for these people to whom Peter was writing, whether they were Gentiles who had lived for pleasure or whether they were Jewish believers who had been religious zealots, the law produced the same results. Death and separation from God. There is no way of life for unholy people through a law that tells us to be holy. But I'm here this morning to tell you that while that is serious, it's okay. After all, this message is not entitled, We Have No Way of Life but that we have a new way of life. And it's that new way of life that we find as we continue on with our verses from 1 Peter. So we're going to go now to verse 17 and a very important concept that we find here. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And there's an idea here that's very important to what comes next in this impartial judgment of the Father. You see, there is no advantage in God's eyes in wealth or race or social status. There is no advantage for the person who tried really, really, really hard to do what was right versus the person who just kind of phoned it in. The father plays no favorites here. He does not 
take into consideration the circumstances or the excuses that you might have to bring to the table for your disobedience. And that is true, that his impartial judgment only looks at the objective product, whether you are a son of Satan or whether you are the son of God himself. So we move on to verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, God is not impressed by the things that we hold so valuable in our world and in our eyes. Gold, silver, being a majority shareholder in a publicly traded company. But there is one thing that gets his attention, and it is this perfect, this precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, that word holy is still right at the center of all of this, but it is not the holiness of my life that I try and fail to bring to the table anymore. Rather, it is the holiness of Christ's life that is at the center of it. And I want you for a moment to really try to wrap your minds around this when you consider, again, that impartial judgment of the Father. Whereas you and I will often pick and choose which parts of God's will are really important to keep, Jesus picked and chose all of his Father's will, and he did it all the time. We can be masters at finding excuses for our disobedience, but Jesus knew that there was never an excuse for disobedience. We pat ourselves on the back when we keep our attitudes and our thoughts from becoming words and actions. But Jesus was the son who was pure all the way down to every attitude of his beating heart like he never even woke up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. Maybe I can use a picture here to help illustrate this purity. Um, That big old rock that you see there is called the Centenary Diamond. Weighing in at 273.85 carats, it is the largest cut diamond of its color anywhere in the world. Its most recent evaluation, evaluation that I could find was somewhere in the ballpark of $100 million for that little rock. Now, the centenary diamond is the sort that jewelers would consider to be flawless, which means that even under a 10 times magnification, there are no observable inclusions. There are no imperfections or impurities that they can find. But do you know what happens if you keep on increasing the magnification beyond 10 times? You know what you're going to find? They're there. They're very tiny, but those flaws are there. And so no diamond or any precious gemstone is ever actually truly flawless. Even an incredible one like that. But even if we were to aim an electron microscope at the gem of Jesus' life, you would find absolutely nothing but pure holiness from beginning to end. He indeed was the perfect son who was perfect 
in every way. And that means that there is a currency that has value. It's not found in the worthless things of this world, not even in all of those things combined. But it is found in that holy blood of the Holy Son. And do you know what's even more incredible? Is that God has chosen to spend this rare and valuable currency on us. Let's finish our verses here and then we'll bring this home. He, so this son, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Even before the creation of the world, he was that holy son. And it is that holiness, that perfect life that has now been revealed to the eyes of mankind in that person of Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, who came for our sake to spill that precious blood on the cross of Calvary as the payment for your sin and my sin and for the sin of this whole world in order to redeem us, to buy us back from all of our unholiness and from our own self-made condemnation. And what's more, then he rose again on Easter morning in order to give us access to a new life and a new hope and a new future. And how do these things become ours? Well, that's what brings us to our second key point today. What's the new way of life through God's Son? Be, leave. Like, you don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it all for you. We simply see it and we love him and we trust him because it's ours. There is no way of life for unholy people through the law, but that's okay because God has opened up a new way for us through Jesus Christ. Believe it. But we can't quite, quite say amen just yet. We need to kind of wrap around to the beginning here. It's important to remember who Peter's audience was here. This wasn't like Peter on Pentecost who was preaching to people who did not know and trust in Jesus. Peter was writing to people who already knew that they were unholy, people who already knew that they were saved by this precious blood of Christ, people who knew that they were not redeemed through keeping a command, and yet, the command still remains. Be holy. And that's really what brings us to our last key point today. What's the new way of living as God's children? Be holy. God does not intend for us any longer to, to go running around after all of those evil desires of our hearts as, as we did when we lived in that ignorance of God and of his will. He doesn't want us flirting around with all that unholiness, not here, not here, not here, not here, not anymore. Rather, as his children, to be holy, to be fixed on all his glory and all his will all the time and with all of ourselves. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, hmm, the new way sounds an awful lot like the old way. And yes, while we are using those same two words, there is one major, major difference here. Yes, God still sets the standard extremely high for his people. And yes, he is still very serious about our attaining to it. He still does not accept any excuses and gives no passes for disobedience. And he never settles for holy enough from his children. But before that drives you either to despair or complacency, remember the most important component of this command, which is that be holy does not begin with you anymore, but with Christ whose precious blood covers over all those sins, not only of your past, but also of today and tomorrow alike. So that even in our shortcomings and even in our flaws, even when we disobey as we strive to live as his holy children, we have that voice of the risen Lamb Jesus right there speaking to us and saying, You are holy. For it is my holy blood which has made you so. Now get up, forgiven, and go be who I have called you to be. Amen. Amen.